0: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready for you. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Across from me, as he usually is, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
0: Did you hear about Kim? Did she kiss him and cry? Did he pin the pin on, or was he too shy? All right. Wow, well, I don't know that one. I'll tell you later. All right. It it relates to what we're going to talk about today.
1: Ah, yes. The telephone.
0: Yes. Not just the telephone system, though, but how to exploit it
1: for your own nefarious means. Well, not necessarily nefarious. We're talking about phone freaking.
0: Yes, which actually, when it started out, was not necessarily meant as a way of exploiting the phone system. It was more of a way of exploring it.
1: Yes, and... Would you believe, actually you would, but would you, the listener, believe that at one point in the United States, you could make free long-distance calls with the help of a toy whistle from a cereal box?
0: I don't believe it. (laughs) Except that I know that that's true because Draper did it.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: (laughs) So... Let's talk a little bit about what led to phone freaking. So mm-hmm. in the olden, olden, olden days of the telephone system, you Which got, really
1: weren't that old when you think about it, but, you
0: know, hey, you No, know, we're, we're not talking about geologic time periods here, okay? <laughs> All right, in the early part of the 20th century, mm-hmm. when the phone system was a new and beautiful thing, mm-hmm. um, you, would normally, you would normally connect your calls by connecting to an operator who would— uh, complete the circuit to whatever your destination call was going to be. It yeah. might actually go through several operators. In fact,
1: yeah, I, I think even our uh, probably even our youngest listeners have seen some TV show or movie where they have the the operators sitting with the headphones on in front of a giant switchboard, literally a giant switchboard where they plugged in cables to route calls. Yeah, I mean that that image is sort of uh, iconic.
0: Right. So that that was the manual way of routing a call through the system so that you could get hold of whoever it was, whomever it was you were trying to uh, speak to. Yes. Um, now, eventually – We managed to advance technology to the point where we could automate the system. Uh And by automating the system, uh, some interesting things started to pop up. Uh, For one thing, people who were interested in electronics and puzzles and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. sort of looked at the phone system as a big challenge, figuring out how it worked from the outside.
1: Yeah actually we call these people hackers. Yeah. And not because uh you know that that's we'll get into the connotations of that and more deeply in a few minutes but um people who like to take things apart and see what they can do with them and employ it for other purposes um those those people often especially now call themselves hackers and uh you know it could be used just because you're interested in the technology and what lies behind it and what you can do with it um but unfortunately some people also use that uh you know for their own nefarious purposes yeah and uh the 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 uh, word hacker has taken on that kind of...
0: Uh, Negative connotation. Yeah. What's interesting is that I think you can kind of draw parallels between phone freaking, the history of phone freaking, and the history of computer hacking.
1: Oh, I can definitely draw those parallels because I read about that well, in researching this podcast. Right. It's it, it's
0: not just that some phone freakers, some very uh, prominent ones, switched from phone freaking to computer hacking, mm-hmm. but also that the the process in which the uh, the the whole concept of freaking started to leak into a larger audience mm-hmm. um, meant that you suddenly had people who were using it to take advantage of the system. Just as with the earliest hackers, they weren't necessarily interested in in hacking computers for their own personal gain. They were interested in learning more about the system, how it works, and how you know to get around certain things, and, and maybe even ultimately how to improve the system. And then later, as more people got interested in hacking, they were getting interested in it in the term of like, how can I make this work for me? So both freaking and hacking have kind of undergone that sort of a, that that evolution where it started with people who were just curious, and it ultimately led to people who were like, how can I how can I leverage my my knowledge of the system to get something that I'm not
1: entitled to? Well, according to uh, to Cyberpunk, which is a book by uh, Katie Hafner and uh, John Markoff, mm-hmm. um, the people who uh, were really into phone freaking um, including people like Kevin Mitnick, who's a you know quite famous computer hacker um, part of it stemmed directly from phone freaking like as things changed and and the system became more computerized, they wanted to continue, Digging into the telephone system. So they began learning how to manipulate the computers that ran the telephone system. So, it, you know, there is a direct, it, it was basically a direct, uh, move from one to the other. Um, and then of course computers became used for other things and, Blah blah blah. Right. So.
0: so let's start back all the way back to 1961. All right. 1961's when we first kind of know that people were starting to play around with the phone system and, and find interesting ways to to uh, manipulate it. Um, back then, they weren't known as phone freaks. No. They had they had really no term at all for one thing they were mostly individuals or maybe a couple of people who knew each other um, but there was no like organized group there were no newsletters all of that would come later yes it wasn't until 1963 uh, when an MIT issue of the tech that was their their newsletter came out um, it was a, their November 20th issue actually mm-hmm. uh, the the author of that piece uh, said called them um, uh, hackers telephone hackers. Okay. Okay, so that's when we first get the hacker term. And then a few years later, actually uh, quite a few years later, uh, Ron Rosenbaum and Esquire in 1971 coined the term phone freaks to describe these people. So exactly what were these people doing? Well, for one thing, they were getting hold of any kind of technical manuals they could possibly find that would explain the phone system, and then they were kind of exploring it. Because... The phone system was a very mysterious thing. Now, if you just looked at it from a a surface level, you thought, oh, well, I've got a phone. I dial these numbers and then I'm connected to the person on the other end. The phone freaks were interested with, how does that work? How is it that when you pick up the phone and you dial these numbers that this gets routed to this specific person? And they knew that the phone companies had a whole series of secret signals that they would use behind the scenes to keep things running. And they were wondering, what are these secret signals, and what do they do?
1: Yeah, um, what was going on in between, say, the the switchboards that we spoke of earlier, and the, the earlier forms of automation before it got so computerized in the 1980s, uh, and probably a little bit before that, I'm guessing, um, is everything was sound-based, um, so there were a lot of different ways to, if you, if you knew what you were doing and could replicate the right pitch of sound into a phone microphone, then you could take control of certain aspects of the system. So it, it was one of those things where it became a, a challenge to figure out what these other tones were and how they how they worked and what you could do with them.
0: Yeah, this kind of leads us to Joe Ingreseria
1: Ah.
0: Ingressia, I'm sorry, I mispronounced that last name. Ingressia, yes, the Whistler. the Whistler. So, Joe was a—he was a curious kid. He—he um, he was a, um, well, he was a blind kid. He was like yes. seven years old when he, when he first found out. He, mm-hmm. he, one of the things he liked to do, because Joe was a wild and crazy kid back then, was he liked to listen to automated messages for unconnected phone lines. Mm-hmm. He just thought that was kind of cool. He would he would dial number and listen to it and listen to the the connection and uh according to Joe, one time he was listening and he was sort of whistling to himself uh as he was uh, uh listening to this this recorded message and the recorded message stopped Right, and he thought, "Well, why did the message stop?" So eventually, he actually called uh, AT and T and said, uh, "Hey, I want to know that. I want to know why this happens when I'm whistling into the phone. Why does this recording stop?" And the engineer on the other end of the line made a colossal mistake.
1: Yeah, the
0: engineer explained that the phone system used a 2600 hertz tone. Mm-hmm. to uh operate on on the trunk line um, and that if you created this tone it was essentially a message to the trunk line that the call had ended and it would it would end it would stop the call Joe figured out from this that if he could if he could whistle a 26 hertz frequency which he could because he had perfect pitch
1: yes twenty six hundred. Yeah, 2600
0: hertz. hertz. I'm sorry, did I miss? It was speak? just one of those things. Uh, 2600 hertz. So yeah, if he, if he could whistle that perfectly, he could signal to this trunk line that a phone call had ended. And if he then whistled that same frequency a certain number of times, uh, you could theoretically dial a number, um, And, and make a free long distance phone call. Mm -hmm. Now, the way this had to work was you couldn't just call any number and, and whistle in and have it work. Um, it all depended on the way the phone systems, uh, were, were, uh, constructed regionally. Mm -hmm. You had to actually first make a long distance call for this to work. Right. But you can make a long distance call to a 1-800 number, so you're not getting a charge. Mm -hmm. So you make that 1-800 number call, you get connected, uh, And then you make the whistling noise, which tells the trunk line, hey, this call is over. So uh, you're still connected through to the trunk, and then you whistle again to dial whatever number it is. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you get connected to your long-distance call for free. Yes. Not everyone could do this on their own.
1: No, but uh – but John Draper figured out a way to do it.
0: Yeah, John Draper, he has an interesting nickname, too. You've got Joe, who was the Whistler.
1: What was uh, Draper's nickname? That would be Captain Crunch. And why would his nickname be Captain Crunch? We know, uh, I saw on on TV a few years ago this this person who invented all the different kinds of little toys and gadgets and stuff that they would throw in cereal boxes, little plastic goodies that they would throw in their tops and, and uh Jacks and whistles, mm-hmm. and uh, as it turns out, that uh, Draper found out that this little—actually, uh, I've seen pictures of it. it. Looks sort of like a, a boson's pipe. Yeah. The- hey, that was good. You think we could take over the phone lines? Anyway, uh, it turns—it turns out that when you uh, when you blew through this whistle, it produced a pitch of oh. Twenty six hundred hertz. Yeah, you had to cover
0: one of the. There were two holes that would generate mm-hmm. the sound. If mm-hmm. you covered one of the two, you could generate twenty six hundred hertz. I think the other one was twenty four hundred. If you covered the other one, I'd have to look it up now. And if you covered both, you could whistle to dogs because you would make a noise that no
1: human could hear. Um, but uh, but yeah, he 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 dug that plastic whistle out of uh, you know a cereal box. You know, since his nickname was Captain Crunch, you could guess that it was probably out of a box of. Fruity Pebbles,
0: right? Obviously,
1: uh, curious. Just, just, just teasing. So, uh, but you- uh, from
0: what I understand, he actually found out that it made the right tone, not on his own, but because he was in a conversation with Joe, the Whistler. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it was through speaking with him that he found out that this, this little whistle could do the same thing that Joe could do naturally. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously the Cap'n Crunch whistles became a sought-after item by phone freaks, mm-hmm. people who are interested in, in, like I said, manipulating the phone system and really finding out how it worked and listening to these beeps and clicks and wondering, okay, well, how can I make this to kind of navigate my way through the system? Uh, so – uh, not not everyone used them, but uh, they became kind of a status symbol. Like if you owned one, you were part of the twenty six hundred club.
1: You know, I uh, I actually saw some for sale on eBay. Yeah. So you can you can still get hold of them, and they're not terribly expensive.
0: Yeah, they're not really useful either. As yeah, far that's as... the
1: thing is at this point they're just sort of a collector's item. They're right. Not, right. They're not useful in in uh, phone circles. Yeah, because
0: the phone system is totally different now than what it was back then. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, so. You started seeing a culture of these people start up, where it was all these folks who were who were finding out ways to manipulate the phone system, and not since not everyone could get hold of a Cap'n Crunch whistle mm-hmm. or make the whistle on their own, uh, they had to find or create devices that could do it for them. Mm-hmm. Also, we should mention that the whistling technique, this twenty six hundred hertz technique, only worked on single frequency phone systems. Aha. Uh-huh. And the phone systems at that time were undergoing a transformation where a lot of them were switching to multiple frequency systems, which Mm -hmm. meant that you would have two frequencies play at the same time. I see. More sophisticated. Right. Whistling two frequencies at the same time, not an easy task to do. No. So so you had to start creating a system, uh, a device that could do this for you, and that's where the blue box came from.
1: Yes. Yes. I I would like to point out that... Everybody, uh, you know, recently, not everybody, lots and lots of people recently have been uh, picking on people who have devices, the iPhone, the iPad, because, you know, they want to be just like everybody else, and they want to be part of the crowd. Well, as it turns out, the people at Apple have not always been as, uh, you know, part of the mainstream culture, because... Two of the people who were involved early in the blue box phenomenon were people who were making them to sell to other people at college. And those people would be Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, the founders yes, of Apple. And exactly. I think that is hilarious. Yeah,
0: actually, Steve Wozniak's blue box is in the Computer History Museum.
1: Uh-huh. You can
0: see the one that he, the first one he built.
1: I just think that's very funny Yeah. That now, now that you know every, you know lots and lots and lots of people have these devices, and they, the people who started the company started out as counterculture hackers. But the the blue box is not named because it is blue. In fact, it can be pretty much any size or any color. It has right. nothing to do with that. It's just yeah. a nickname that it got.
0: Yeah, and it 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 wouldn't have been possible to make this, or at least it would have. Let me backtrack. Okay. I won't say it wouldn't have been possible. It would have been exceptionally difficult to make this if it weren't for the fact that once again a telephone company made a massive error in judgment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> which was uh in this case it was uh the Bell system yes. technical journal which released the information of what
1: frequencies
0: each number needed now uh in order to uh to dial them.
1: Yeah. Now, Normal. Normally, people wouldn't be looking for that kind of information, but yeah, the kinds of people who would be into phone freaking would know exactly where to find that kind of information, and they would be already monitoring those journals because they were interested in how the phone system worked. Right. So you
0: look at this journal and you find out that uh, let's see. I think I even have an example here. Like the the. The number um, four, for example, mm-hmm. had two tones, like all of them did. Uh, one of them was in the 700 hertz frequency, and the other was 1,300 hertz frequency. Mm-hmm. So you had to generate both of those in order to dial a four. So once you know that, once you know which frequencies will generate which you know will translate to which numbers you could create a device that when you uh when you input the number it would make that noise you connect that to a phone and suddenly you can make these long distance phone calls again just like uh Joe was doing by whistling in the the receiver um and it was a uh, you know, it was a heck of a thing, man. I mean, you could you could uh, make joke prank phone calls. I, I heard of one. I don't know. The story may be apocryphal. Um, but I heard one about how the Waz made a certain prank phone call to uh, a particularly high-ranking member of the Catholic Church. In fact, the highest. Mm-hmm. He supposedly prank called the Pope and impersonated Henry Kissinger.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, but, I'd actually heard that story too. But the
0: Pope, he was asleep, and <laughs> so he didn't. Uh, he did not have come to the phone. He said, "I'll
1: call Hank back later." Um, that was lovely. We're going to get mail, mail about that or comments on Facebook. I what,
0: say. Because I called Henry Kissinger, Hank. Come on, people!
1: <laughs> um, but there were other kinds of boxes too. There were red boxes and beige boxes and black boxes. They all did something different. Red boxes theoretically allow you to make free payphone calls. Yeah, the the thing about the red box was that it would generate a frequency, you would
0: replace a crystal within the dialer Mm -hmm. of the – most of these involved having to take apart a public phone to some extent, Um, or sometimes a a regular phone, depending on the thing. But this was a public phone. You go to a pay phone, you take it apart, you replace the the crystal within the dialer system with a a different crystal that would uh, resonate at a higher frequency, and (laughs) – and it it would it would simulate the sound of a quarter going into the payphone yes so you were simulating as if you were feeding change into the payphone and you could so your calls technically weren't quote unquote free because as far as the machine could tell you were actually feeding coins into it but yes. but you were just
1: simulating that um Yeah, and and, and here I'm going to tease some of our younger listeners. At one point, there were phones on every corner, and you had to put money into them to make a call. So, you know, because no one had cell phones. I'm, I'm just teasing. They weren't on every corner, but you know what? You don't see them anymore because of the rise of cell phones. So this is something that would be, yeah. And then there are some in some places, but, uh, not nearly as many as there used to be.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So this is is
1: something that may be unfamiliar to people. Honestly, they may not realize that, uh, there were pay phones so frequently available. And you, you know, it would be difficult, I would imagine, to install a red box. Yeah. Because you'd have to do it when people weren't looking.
0: Right, so you'd have to you'd you have, to there? A, have to pick Nothing. a payphone that's in a, a fairly remote location. Although yeah. there there were plenty of them in remote locations, and
1: there still are. Yeah.
0: Um, and again Some. these these uh, systems won't work with that anymore because the, the the whole right. basis for right. the phone network is different now in fact phone freaking in, in general has really shifted now it's no longer really about finding ways to make free long-distance phone calls because that's not as near not nearly as big a deal as it used to be
1: no no as a matter of fact um, as as time went on at least according to uh, Hafner and Markov's book um, you know when the the systems evolved into computer technology you had a couple things going on. You did have hackers looking to hack computer networks because they were interested in learning more about them and sometimes for other purposes. But uh, one thing that people were doing, they were uh, looking to replicate MCI, um, which uh, was, I think, one of the baby bells and is now part of, may, I may be wrong on that. Anyway, it was an independent phone company and uh, um, they were they had calling cards um, and what the uh, phone hackers were doing at that point was trying to find ways to replicate uh, MCI calling card numbers. And they would basically call an MCI uh, network and enter numbers with their computer, and when they found one that worked, they would use that to make free phone calls. But it was a different way of doing it than manipulating the phone system itself. It was really manipulating the payment system, I would say, more than, more than that. Yeah. Um, but um, by the mid-1970s, according to the, the uh, aforementioned book, um, AT&T said uh, or, uh, they were losing, the company was losing approximately $30 million a year To uh, to fraudulent phone calls, and um, I I just picked 1975 as the year and plugged it into Wolfram Alpha. Uh, Thirty million dollars in 1975 would be about 120.6 million dollars in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's you know not sizable, but it's certainly not a lot. (laughs) They they certainly don't want to lose that money. Um, And apparently, professional professional white collar people were using. These techniques too. I mean, we're past the, the era of the, the hacker, you know, being interested in the network and taking it over. These are people who, you know, maybe for maybe they were just trying to get free phone calls from themselves. Maybe they were right. small businesses trying to find ways to avoid paying long distance charges. Um, you know, so basically, that had a lot to do with why Bell Labs um, basically found ways to scan the network for things like uh, black boxes. Black boxes allowed you to hook up. You'd hook it up to your own phone, and when people would call you, um, it would basically nullify the charges for the person on the other end making the phone call, but uh, a scanner would pick up on that on the call, so you'd have to cut it short to avoid being detected by the scanners on the network, and basically, they started finding people who were doing these things and and prosecuting them, and they got quite a few of them. Captain Crunch got caught. Yep, but it did did spawn a lot of uh, uh, things that I had no idea about, like Abby Hoffman, you remember him, mm-hmm. the uh, the mm-hmm. political activist? Um, he started a group with uh, a guy named Al Bell, uh, apparently no relation to Alexander Graham. I don't know. Maybe so. Anyway, it was called uh, Youth International Party Line. Uh, the Yippies. Yep. And uh, basically the idea being that uh, once you liberated uh, communication... Um, from the man, yeah, uh, you'd be able to give people more control over it. But Al really wasn't interested in the political side of things. Um, he he broke off from the group and uh, called called a new group, uh, the Technical Assistance Program, Tap, nice. which you probably ran into. Yes, and uh, they they published a lot of the material from AT and T's technical manuals, Right, um, and uh, they had more than 1,300 people subscribed by 1975, um, one of whom apparently, according uh, according again to the Hafner and Markov book, uh, apparently uh, this woman had subscribed, not because she was interested in phone freaking, but because she just wanted to stick it to the phone company. Yeah. So she's like, anything you guys can do to, to uh, you know subvert these guys. Go ahead and do it. Here's my money.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that did become a an issue. That and now we're going from beyond the exploration to either personal gain or political gain, um, or yeah. you know some sort of anarchy kind of thing going on.
1: Oh, they published uh, numbers to Buckingham Palace, right. and The White House. They they told you how to pick locks and uh, use slugs and vending machines. Yeah, it's
0: kind of like the anarchist cookbook type. Oh stuff. yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's it's it's. That was definitely uh, kind of a, a child of the time, you know. We're talking about the whole Vietnam era as well. So, um, yeah, you know, you've got this mistrust in the government and oh, corporations sure. that really started to peak in the seventies, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that freaking became kind of a problem. But it, it did start to shift mm-hmm. because once the personal computer entered the the picture, a lot of the freaks like. Uh, the Waz and, sure. and, and Jobs uh, shifted their attention from from phones to computers, mm-hmm. and it was a brand new system to learn how to manipulate and and exploit and all that kind of good stuff. Um, freaking did continue for a while, mm-hmm. uh, but there was there there were some pretty famous big crackdowns, including one in the uh, in 1990. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about this one? AT and T did this uh, massive crackdown on freaks because. AT&T ha- experienced a national-wide long-distance service crash on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in
1: 1990. Oh, okay.
0: And they laid the blame uh, for that crash on, on uh, hackers and, and phone freaks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, whether or not there was actual legitimate uh, – that was a legitimate excuse remains a, a matter of debate. Hackers. A lot of hackers say, "Hey, we weren't doing anything (laughs) that would have led to this big crash in 1990." It may be that you know this is AT&T's blunder, and they're they've chosen a very very uh, convenient scapegoat. Mm AT&T, of course, would say, no, this is – I mean, what are they going to do? Say, yep, it was us.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean,
0: some of them would. I mean, some hackers, of course, take great pride in bringing down systems and will brag about it. But other hackers would be like, whoa, I totally did not mean to hit the off switch. I just wanted to look around. Mm -hmm. So that's still a matter of uh, debate about – I'm I'm sure there are people who do know the truth of what happened, but I am not among them.
1: (laughs) Um well it's kind of interesting too that uh uh if you've ever seen the uh magazine 2600 you yep. probably now know where the the name came from they right. do um you know I do I Think they think of themselves as a hackers magazine, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know things like uh, things like Make magazine, you know, are for hackers, people who like to take things apart and and see what it is. So I think it really the idea behind it still exists, but there are a lot of people who are like the very early phone freaks who who say, you know what, there's this thing that somebody else came up with, and I'm, I'm really interested in how you know how it works, what makes it tick, you know why does it work the way it does and what can I get it to do that it's not supposed to do they really have no interest in you know taking advantage of the system or making a statement they're like yeah you know what? I want to take it apart and and see if I can make it do something really cool
0: right this is a philosophy that dates back Ages. In fact, without without this kind of intense curiosity, you mm-hmm. could argue that, that fields like architecture and engineering wouldn't be what they are today. In fact, it just occurred to me that what we should do in a future podcast mm-hmm. is do an episode called Leonardo da Vinci, Renaissance Hacker.
1: Hey, there you go. Because
0: really, that's what he was. Yeah,
1: that's true. When that's you true. get down to it. Um Also, I want to point out that MCI was not one of the Baby Bells. It was a competitor to the Baby Bells. Oh, okay. So uh, I I looked that up. So sorry about that.
0: And, uh, yeah, if you guys do some research into freaking, you'll find some pretty crazy stories out there, including some fairly cryptic terms and names of groups and stuff, because uh, like hackers, freakers often would would adopt a nickname or have a nickname attributed to them, and Mm -hmm. uh, some of them ended up getting into some pretty serious trouble, including... uh, a group of freakers and hackers known as the 414 group, the 414.
1: Yes, I've heard yeah. of them.
0: Well, that, that's named after a, a Milwaukee area code. That's where they were uh, based out of. So, okay. if you ever wonder where the 414 group's name came from, it came from that. Um, and they got they 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 got into some big trouble when uh, when uh, uh, it was discovered that they had uh, infiltrated around 60 different major computer systems, mm-hmm. and uh, including ones for like hospitals and governments and things like that
1: yep yeah it's uh it's funny though because these skills do uh, do pay off in the long run for people who you know are interested in in, in getting into the nuts and bolts of what makes things tick, um, including Whistler, Whistler Joe. Yeah, who uh, who ended up working for a phone company because he just wanted to. Uh, he want, that was one of the things he really wanted to do in life, and uh, you know the the phone company apparently let him tour the facilities of this one operation, and he had a difficult time because he had a reputation as a phone freak. Yeah, but he, what he, you know once he got an, an opportunity to work for the phone company, he had absolutely no. He he wanted to mess with the technology.
0: Well, the whole reason that he was, got into phone freaking in the first place was because he found the phone system to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah. again, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't that he. He had some some evil plan in mind right. or something. He just it was it was a, a really cool system, and he wanted to know how it worked.
1: You know, even even Kevin Mitnick now. You know, a very famous uh, computer hacker and former phone freak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has his own security consulting yeah. organization.
0: Poor guy can't even get through an airport, but <laughs> he has his own well, security consulting.
1: He, uh, poor guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he certainly knows a lot about technology and security of technology. Oh, yeah. And uh, so therefore, he's a very valuable person to have as a security consultant. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's from taking things apart and manipulating uh, things and well, the you know, only getting way- a reputation as someone who knows these things inside and sign it out. Right. the only the only way you can figure
0: out how to keep people out of a system is to know how to infiltrate a system. Yes, that's so, true. So, yeah, a lot of these hackers have have joined the MAN yeah. in one way or another.
1: And in some cases, I think it's a lot more lucrative than what they were doing yeah. before. Well, it's certainly less risky. Yes, that's true.
0: All right, well that that's a great conversation on phone freaking, we're going to wrap it up. Guys, if you have any suggestions on comments, or, or comments, or anything like that, why don't you uh, join our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter, let us know through there. We're, we're getting a lot of our uh, our suggestions through there. It's, it's ending up being a lot more uh, efficient than email is, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you want to use that, that would be awesome. Uh, if you are determined to email us, you can. I'm not going to stop you. Our address is up at howstuffworks.com, and we
1: will talk to you again, Really. Really soon if you're a tech stuff fan be sure to check us out on twitter tech stuff hsw is our handle and you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash tech stuff hsw for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com and be sure to check out the new tech stuff blog now on the howstuffworks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready for
0: you. Running a business is no cakewalk. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I-can't-believe-how-simple-that-is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office... With SAP Concur you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's c o n c u r.com.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.